How do I keep working my recovery when it's so depressing every time I fail? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. you guys you unfortunately probably for most of you are stuck with just me today brandon is taking some of his summer vacation time off and not available so brandon hope you're having a good time i know you're going to go back and listen to this and critique everything i say so um, hopefully i don't disappoint you too much um just for starters i wanted to just read a new review we just got a new review that came in uh this week so this one comes from dt huntsman It says, it's added balance to my life. The Patrick brothers have added a sense of balance back into my life. Their brotherly banter, the love of their religion, their fondness of the outdoors, and the way they approach the ugly truths of infidelity make them seem like guys I've known myself. Thank you, Brandon and Tyler. Please don't stop doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, DT Huntsman. Appreciate the fact that you're listening and glad that that it's been a benefit to your life. So love you guys' feedback. Thank you for your feedback. Um, just another quick mention here. We've been mentioning it for the last few weeks, but we're getting pretty close to being full. The rising sun retreat is almost full. By the time you hear this, there'll probably be just a few spots left. If you're interested, go to risingsun.org, risingsun.org, and you're going to get all sorts of information there. You're going to get lots of interviews of people who've already been to the retreat before talking about why and how you should go and how it's going to change your life. And uh, if you're a man who is looking for a way to reconnect to his heart and to continue your wrestle with your higher power and to find a way to build relationships with some really solid men who are also really serious about their recovery, this is the kind of event that you should seriously take a look at. So All right, you guys, we're going to jump into it today. We have Jane with us. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, Jane, just kind of introduce your your situation, your your history, and then ask your question. Okay. So my husband and I have been married for 22 years, and about seven years into our marriage is when I found out about his um, sexual addiction, which at that time, we didn't really realize it was an addiction. I mean, we had, he had gone through many, many times where, I mean, we're religious. And so he had um, gone to an ecclesial ask sorry, an ecclesiastical leader to, you know, start the repentance process many, many times and had never felt to that, up to that point, um, that he had really, um, you know, it, it didn't help in other words. Um, and even our, our ecclesiastical leaders at the time, um, I don't, they didn't really know how to help, you know, Um, and I can't speak to really what went on with in each meeting or anything like that, because I obviously wasn't there. Um, But he had, 
this started when he was a teenage, a teenager. So around the age of 14. Um, so when he finally came to me with, with it, you know, seven years into our marriage, it, I would say to me, it was a complete surprise. It wasn't even really something that I had thought about, I guess you could say, you know, I grew up in a very sheltered home and um, had never really even thought about this being, I mean, I knew about pornography, but his, and that had, that was part of it. But even to now, I feel like the bigger part is masturbation. Um, but honestly, even after being married for 22 years, I and this is going to sound really crazy. I've never caught him. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how this would have really come out or if it would, if he wouldn't have just been so, um, you know, just couldn't keep the secret any longer. It, it's crazy that it took seven years, right. To trust me with that information. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, initially, we were just trying to work through it with, with our church leaders, and um, we did go to a therapist uh, in the beginning for like one visit. But my husband, I mean, at that time, we lived in rural Missouri, and this is getting to be a long story, isn't it? That's okay. You, and, and having that person be two hours away at the time was for a family of young children did not seem really doable, you know? Um, and not really knowing that it was a, an addiction at the time uh, probably didn't help. Um, so we just, he just kind of kept going through, I would say the motions of white knuckling, you know, just trying not to do it. <laughs> and obviously that didn't work. Um, it wasn't until about 2012 when we moved to a, a bigger city um, that we came to realize um, my husband had gone, I guess, to another church leader who had, you know, led him to some information that may helped him discover that it was an addiction. And he started going at that time to the 12 step meeting that was held in our area um, with our church. And I also at the time started going. So this is about 10 years ago, probably. Okay. And honestly, that was at the time, probably the best thing that we could have done because it was finally coming to light that, you know, this was an addiction for him and it was something that he could get help for and and support and it wasn't just something that was gonna you know that he could you know repent of and 
be done with or whatever. So in a sense that made it, that made it more, I mean, it made it more understandable, I guess, why he had been going through all that through all those years. So that's a little bit of background, but fast forward to today, I mean, we moved to another smaller town. We, and for the first few years that we lived here, we didn't know of a group of a support group or a 12 step group um, for our church. And so, um, you know, we've gone through periods where it's just kind of the elephant in the room that gets ignored Mm -hmm. a lot, which I've heard a lot. I mean, there's a lot of cycles that we've been through and, and then we found out there was one and he went faithfully for a while and had a really good mentor. And then I just feel like with COVID is kind of where everything broke down. Um, And now he's at a place where he, it was about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, that he came to me and he said, you know, I am at this place where I just don't even want to try anymore. I, if I fail one more time, I, I can't live with it. And, um, I, I'll just want to, you know, take my own life or even just not live anymore. He didn't really say take his own life, but I I won't want to live anymore. And, and, um, I'm also really, he's, he said he's struggling also with just even believing in God anymore and, um, and not, you know, just not believing at all in any higher power, which at that time, I really struggled with because, um, our faith has, you know, faith is a big part of my life and, and I feel like one of the basis for our marriage, you know? And so having him go through that, it made it even more overwhelming for me personally, because if he doesn't even believe in God or have, the same beliefs as I do anymore, then not only do we have the addiction, but we have, you know, the, the whole faith um, crisis to deal with, Mm -hmm. which is stressful. And so obviously you're probably like, why did you let this go for a year? Well, and honestly, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts of yours and I've been wanting to be on for that long just you know took time to really um get courageous I guess um sure and feel like um you know and during the year he you know we had some conversations um after listening to some of your podcasts um you know I I got vulnerable a couple times um, with him. And also um, he just, he felt that I wasn't taking him seriously because 
um, I really, you know, he still is going through the motions of going to church and raising our children the way that, you know, we always have. Um, but you can tell he is not, even though he's going through the motions, he's not really there, you know, for that mm -hmm. part. And his mom recently visited and she was like, what is going on? You know, she noticed it without anyone saying anything. And so I was finally able to, to tell her, you know, about his addiction, about what was going on, which she's the only person in either of our families that I've ever told. Um, and so I was really grateful that she was like, what is going on? And I asked his permission to tell her because I feel like it's his thing to tell in a way still, even though I'm part of it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Um, so then recently I had a discussion with him right before I asked this question on your podcast, because I wanted to see like if he was still in the same place or if, you know, things had changed and really, you know, I always said, I just started out with where are you in your recovery? And I knew, I basically knew the answer would be not doing anything, you know, but that was the best way I could feel to start. And I said, I said, I feel like, um, you know, if you're not recovering, that's going to drive a wedge between us. And he said, his response was, I feel like if I do recovery, it's going to drive a wedge between us because if I fail, then I'm done. I'm, I'm done with, you know, like believing I'm done with, you know, life in general, but you know, he's like, I know that if I fail, then I'm not going to believe in God anymore. And I'm not going to have the, I mean, this is the sense that I got is that, I just, I'm not going to go back. And, and so at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to come and pose this question to you. Like, where do I go from here? How do I deal with um, him being in this hopeless place and our, his faith crisis and in our relationship and, you know, I just feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, Jane, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and I know for a fact that you're not the only person sitting in the shoes that you're sitting in right now, feeling probably a little bit helpless and exasperated yourself, um, wanting so badly for things to be a little bit differently, knowing that they could be, and then feeling probably a little bit helpless. Um, if you don't mind, just let me get just a, a couple more pieces of information, just kind of fill in the gaps for me. Um, you since, so basically you've been working recovery in some form for about 15 years. Uh, the places where the places where you guys have like tried formal recovery have been through ecclesiastical means and through 12 step meetings that were also connected to your church. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, and has, incidentally, I still, 
I have a support group that I go to. That's great. Like it's small, but you know, there's about three of us and they're actually the ones that introduced me to, um, well, the, the podcast, um, the first podcast I listened to was Brannon's with, um, Ashley Ashley and Kobe. Mm -hmm. And then when that went through its weird transition recently, I started listening to this and, and it's really helped me to, you know, have more of a vocabulary for what's going on and, and I don't know, more, a different kind of a different, I guess, view of how things could be. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, okay. So great. So there's a couple of different pathways in my head that I want to go down with you. Okay. So bear with me. I'm going to go down the first one first, and then I want to come back and kind of talk about you. So I want to really just kind of paint the picture because what you just described, I think is actually a very common situation. I wish, I wish your husband was here with you because it would be great to get his perspective and thought on this as well. Um, but he's not alone. And if you look at kind of how you painted the picture for most people, most of the men that we work with, you know, their, their issues start sometime usually in their teen years or early twenties. And then it becomes this thing that becomes a pattern that they can't seem to stop, even though they want to. And as, I mean, just anyone who's listening to this will know what it's like. I mean, every one of us probably has some type of advice in our lives right now that we've tried to quit a thousand times and somehow it still shows up once in a while. Definitely. Right. Or more than once in a while. But we, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe on the daily sometimes. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating. You know, I can't tell you how many times, like when I tried to stop drinking soda that I, I was calling Bran and the next day being like, Hey, I went into Maverick and got a drink again. He's like, all right, well, what are you going to do? He's like, finally, after two weeks straight of making phone calls, he's like, Hey, are you serious about this or not? You know? <laughs> like, right. you know, so, so it's like, um, it's, I think it's, it makes sense why someone could come to the place of being completely exasperated and hopeless now. And if you take another layer to this and the way that many of our listeners and both you and I probably have related this, I know in my own recovery, I felt the same way as that because of, because of the implications that I had learned spiritually growing up, it has roots connected to my relationship with God and my overall sense of worthiness. So it's not just a problem that I can't stop like going in and getting a, a drink at the gas station that I'm trying to quit. It has some, it has deeper roots because it somehow is tied not only to my relationship with my higher power or God and, and whether or not I'm worthy of, of his love. It's also tied even deeper to that, to my own sense of value as a person. So if right. I'm trying to stop this behavior and every time, every time I mess up, it somehow means that I'm blank. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm weak. I'm inadequate. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. If every time I mess up, it has to mean those things. It kind of makes sense why someone would get to the point of going, I, why try? Like, I, I don't, all I do is incur more like failure every time I retry, I'd rather just kind of settle for being in the mediocre space. Yes. And right. I can honestly say like one time he said to me, since he admitted that he was having a faith crisis, I actually feel better since I've, you know, stopped believing. 
you know, or whatever. Sure. Sure. Well, and so, if you, if you look at, if you look at like recovery, at least the way Brandon and I both kind of look at it is, is that for most people, whether it's on the betrayal side or whether it's on the addiction side, for most people, there is a corresponding and correlated wrestle between the fight against the addiction itself and, and the wrestle with a higher power. And I get this image in my mind, and this is going to maybe sound a little bit backwards and it's scary. It's really, really scary. But I, I always have this picture painted in my head of like, say, put, put your, your temple or your church right in the middle. And then all around it is a maze. And we're all trying to find our way into that place, that place of God. Right. And for many people, I think we feel like we've gotten right up to the walls of that temple or that church, but then we hit a a wall and we can't quite get into the front door and we keep banging our heads against that wall, trying to figure out how to get to the front door because we know it's right there, but we never quite get there. And, and most of us will do that for a really long time, always getting the answer back from some God that we've believed in some punitive God that says you're unworthy or you're not good enough or you not yet, not until you're perfect, not until you stop this thing, not until whatever else. And we don't realize that maybe the answer is to actually back out of the place where we've come to, even though we're this close to being at the front door and to go all the way back into that maze, all the way back out into the dark places and to wrestle with those things until we can come to a new path. And I hear your husband kind of being in that space where he's feeling exasperated because he keeps saying, I've tried everything, which, which really boils down to, I've tried the same thing over and over again. Um, and I'm tired and he's probably, and this sounds scary, but he's probably in a better spot now having to question and wrestle and fight for his beliefs about who God is and who he is to God than to continue to subscribe to the same beliefs that have kept him stuck for the last 15 years. The risk is that he may go way off into some place that you and I might consider dark and maybe never come out of that in terms of spiritual beliefs. Yeah. But what's, but what's the risk if he doesn't? you guys have the exact life that you've currently got. Yeah. I mean, he'll never, it'll never be different. Yeah. That's, that's right. And, and if you guys are in a spot and what he's saying, maybe is he's saying, I'm, I'm good enough to play small and sell myself short to avoid having to confront the things that I feel, or that I feel like God might feel about me and to risk having to go back off into those dark places and, and go into a different part of the maze and try to find my way around until I have a different relationship with God. I'd rather just kind of stay where I'm at because at least I know that spot and you're going, I I don't know if that works for me. Right. Yeah. And, and if your husband's listening, this is, you know, kind of one track that I was getting onto is that, there's a lot of other ways to look at this than the way that it's currently being seen right now. It's, it's, I feel so unworthy that if I just stop believing in God, then I'll feel better. And yeah. in some ways that might be true for a while, maybe for a while, Yeah, it's not, because it it's takes temporary. That's right. It takes the pressure off in some ways. And, and what I would suggest is that there might be 10 other ways of looking at it that could still include a relationship with God. And one way, namely, 
is that maybe it's not God's issue here. Maybe it's my issue in the way that I'm viewing God. And that maybe my job is to fire the current God that I have because he's not really God and to go on a quest to find the actual true nature of God, which from a Christian perspective is what? Love. Love. Yes. Love. That's the, that's the part of the equation that's missing here is the love. There's no room for love. So you tell me where God is. He's not there for him. He's not there, but that doesn't mean God's not there. That means that my view of who God is might need to be re-examined. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, um, does that make sense? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you're right. It is kind of scary to be in that spot, right? Because, um, you know, his next conclusion could be completely different from mine. And how do we then, um, you know, we have six children. I didn't mention that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So we have children from... Our youngest is six. Our oldest is 20. Um, How does this affect them and the way that we're raising them? And I mean, how does that affect our relationship if we don't believe the same things? Do you know what I mean? So there is, you know, if he doesn't come to the same conclusion in the end, you know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of real, I mean, I hear it and you're, you're absolutely right that there's the potential for very real consequences in the pursuit of, of this thing. Yeah. Right. And, and again, this is the hard part is, is, you know, this is, this is my perspective on it is I believe that every one of us is for as long as we live going to be in a wrestle with some form of our higher power. It's, it's built to be that way. If you're a Christian, it's by design because that's how we learn and we grow and we come to know ourselves and we come to know God better is through that wrestle. And so as, as scary as it is, I'm, I'm a believer that, that you both owe it to yourselves to be able to show up in your relationship as authentically as possible. And if there's room in the relationship for that wrestle to be happening, and to have that faith and surrender to let it go and trust that, that our higher power is actively working for our own hearts, for our partner's hearts, that, that, that that's the best way that we come to know ourselves. And that's the best shot we have of having the kinds of relationships that we want with one another. Now, now with that said, you're right. You and he, there's a lot of skin in the game when you got six kids and a belief system that you guys have carried for a really long time and probably a set of morals that comes with it that feels good for your kids to be learning and being taught. Um, yeah, there's your, your feelings are valid. There is going to be some risk and some struggle and some challenge there, but there's also going to be the potential for a lot of teaching as well. Um, And I think that's why it becomes so scary. That's probably one reason why your husband is feeling so stuck is that he kind of knows and doesn't necessarily want to have to take on the risk of all those other effects in other people's lives as well. 
Yeah. It's like, uh, we, huh. <laughs> we, we, we work with horses in our practice. Sometimes we do some equine therapy stuff and it's interesting with horses. When you work with a horse, um, they operate on what we call levels of pressure. So you usually ask them kindly in some way by touching their hair and then you move to their skin and then you move to their muscle and then you move to their bone to try to get them to move where you want them to move or do the thing you want them to do. And each level is a corresponding level of pressure and uh -huh. a horse will, when it starts to feel pressure, it will move away from the pressure. So if you put a horse in a situation where it can't escape the pressure, where there's no place for it to go, eventually the horse will actually just lay down. They, it, they call it grounding. It'll just lay down and give up. And, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing that same kind of a principle because of the way that it's being viewed in your husband's mind that he's moving into grounding phase. He's just like, yeah, this is like a, this is the electrical shock that's going to happen to me once in a while. And I guess I'm just going to have to take it because it's just the life I'm destined for because I would rather do that than to try and fail again, because trying and failing means something different than just choosing to fail. Yeah. And so, so the next question I think is then how do you, how do you start to move from this place of hopelessness where I'm just laying there taking the shock and how do I, as a loved one who's watching this thing unfold, number one, how do I cope myself? But then number two, how do I, how do I help things go right in this process? Right. Is that kind of, yeah. I think, I think yes. we're kind of getting down to the core of your original question now. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> I hope your husband's listening to this. I, I just want to tell a story really quickly. I had a, a guy and I've told this on the podcast before, but I had a guy come into my office. He'd been working recovery for a really, really long time. And before he came to see me, he had gotten to this place you're talking about where he was just completely suicidal. Like he didn't think he could live anymore. He knew he wasn't going to be successful. He was trying. He'd been going to therapy for a long time. He just couldn't quite figure out the sobriety piece. And he went into his therapist and he just reported his most recent relapse and how he just was so horrible and how he felt like such a failure and how he felt like he needed to die. And he'd had this plan of how he was going to kill himself. And he said, the therapist just sat there and looked at me and the therapist actually started laughing. And he said, <laughs> he said, the therapist like looked at me and was like, dude, it's, it's just porn. Right. And when you hear that, and I know a lot of our listeners are having something twist inside right now. Like, yeah, but it's porn. It's really bad. Like you gotta, you know, it's like, man, we gotta, and the therapist was like, no, it's, it's just porn. And then he went on to explain in relation to a human life, to your life, like to the miracle that you are, that you're a living, breathing soul, and you're going to end your life over porn. Like, do you see the perspective? It's like, yeah, in some ways you can now come to that point of it's just porn. Now, of course, we're going to work on that because we don't like how it makes us feel and it doesn't line up with our values and, and all of those other things. But in comparison to the, the value of your life, really? Yeah. <clears throat> That's true. So, yeah. So, so, so there's, there's a certain kind of concept that I'm hearing, and this is something that I think you could maybe be helpful with without obviously doing all of his work for him. And hopefully 
he can maybe consider this too, is that the way that things are being viewed from his side and the way that hopelessness comes into our lives, the way that it does is one of the factors that leads to that is getting fully stuck into what we call a fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. And what the fixed mindset says is every time I make a mistake, it's proof that I'm no good. Whereas uh-huh. the, whereas the growth mindset says, Oh dang, made a mistake opportunity for learning opportunity for growth. I'm going to get, I'm going to get to do this for as long as it takes to figure this thing out. And I don't have to like it and it's uncomfortable, but there's always room. There's always room for movement and growth. And, um, if, if, if you or the listeners are interested in anything along this topic, a really good book by Carol Dweck, D W E C K is called mindset. And, and inside that book, she gives a whole bunch of different sorts of like little small practices that you can either be teaching your kids, or in this case might be going through with your spouse of how to start shifting away from that fixed mindset into the process of being growth, you know, a growth mindset. And, and so as a partner, one of the things that you might be able to do is to help identify that. So when he says, he comes to you and he says, Hey, look, I don't, if I fail again, I don't think I can do this anymore. Uh-huh. You're going to be able to show up with maybe some understanding and empathy, which I hear in you like, Oh, no one likes to be able to fail over and over again, but, but also being able to insert that other side, that other, that other way of looking at things, or maybe a reminder or a call to action towards those things that it doesn't have to stay fixed. It, it's going to be a growth thing. And if we can learn as we go, that's all that really matters. That's good advice. Does that make, does that make <laughs> yeah, sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like when, when I was being trained in therapy, I was trained in, uh, in dialectical behavioral therapy and we, they were teaching us one time and they're talking about someone with an addiction and there's this balance that a therapist is supposed to have, which is that, you know, I can believe with somebody that they can stay sober the rest of their lives. And I actually believe that's entirely possible. And I'm going to push that and be like, yes, you can keep your bottom lines. You can, you know, maintain your sobriety. You can live these healthy patterns of life. You can find ways to connect with God, others, and self. And we push, 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 push. And then when the client comes in and has a relapse, then the flip side of that is like, oh, okay, well, this is part of your process. No big deal. Let's learn from it. Right. It's like this both and sort of a push. And so we're chasing excellence and perfection, knowing that the only way to get to excellence and perfection for a lot of people is to actually have some bumps in the road and some bruises and some struggles. And in those struggles, we can accept that that's part of the process and embrace that it's part of the process. And in doing so, we get a chance to now make new movement. Right. And, and so I, I think it would be really helpful for both of you guys to kind of have at the forefront, this idea of how do we foster, how do we foster that growth mindset? I mean, for me personally, I feel like, uh, my beliefs give me that growth mindset, but that might not be true for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I feel like that's intrinsic. 
like the 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 ability to hope and change is there because of you know because of what i believe yes right and and that probably boils even all the way back down into your own spiritual beliefs and your own personal relationship with god yeah yeah absolutely so i mean and i think that i think there's behaviors that i have that i mean they're not necessarily an addiction but like that I wish that I didn't have, you know, like I, I yell at my kids sometimes, unfortunately, (laughs) I, that's not what I should do. Right. But, but I can, I guess, I guess the tough thing is that, you know, most things are done, um, you know, little by little, and it seems like nothing's happening, but really something's happening. It's just little by little. Right. But you see that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the kind of thing where I I tell people this all the time in recovery work, that if you recovery work, sometimes really is a day at a time thing where you're working to fill your tank emotionally, live wholeheartedly and do the very best you can. And if you do that one day at a time, you won't notice it because the change is so subtle, but then you'll have snapshots where you could say, look at yourself a year ago from now or three years ago from now. And all of a sudden you'll see these big gaps and go, wow, my life is so vastly different today than it was three or five years ago. But that happened one day at a time with consistent effort and action over time. Right. Right. And you see that. And so you have faith in that process because you're experiencing that process. And I would imagine that when you yell at your kids, you probably feel disappointed But if you are looking at it from the perspective you're saying, then you go and instead of going like, oh, I'm a terrible mom, I just totally ruined my kids. Like, I'd be better off not being here because I'm just causing so much damage. Instead, you're which I have done sometimes. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, I have thought sometimes. That's what I think everybody does. That's that's shame, (laughs) and that's like that's the fixed mindset, right? Right. Yeah. Um. But but then to be able to bring it back around to what you were saying and saying, okay, well, that's definitely not inside my values, and I can get better at that, and I'm going to recommit to that, and I'm going to learn from that. I imagine that you're going to be better off three months, six months, a year from now by following that approach than you would be by going the first route and saying, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, and my kids would be better without a mom. Yeah. Right. Because that's not true. Exactly. Right. And, you've, and you've experienced that before. Yeah. So you can almost have faith and trust in that principle. So, right. so, so I would bring that principle back into the discussion inside your marriage. Uh-huh. That we're gonna we're we're focused. Your husband's focus is entirely too much on the sobriety piece. And that's and, what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds almost backwards because sobriety is necessary because not being sober eats at your own values, which then kind of feeds that fixed mindset. But the focus needs to be on a wholehearted life with the pursuit of connecting your heart. And And if he'll do that, have a growth mindset, the byproduct eventually will be sobriety. Because because the more he comes to understand himself and like himself and live within his values, the more he's going to decide to make choices that will help to break the patterns that he finds himself stuck in. Yeah. 
So, um, Jane, uh, I know we're getting to just a few minutes left. I'm not sure we've even gotten fully to your question. Is there any other thoughts on your mind? Um, I mean, so I guess my job is to remind him of the growth mindset, but I mean, I, is that where I should start? I guess. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you start with making sure you're taking good care of yourself emotionally first. And I, I, I get the impression that you're doing that. Yeah. So, so then when you're dealing with somebody who's kind of in that hopeless place, you obviously can't do for them what he can and do should do for himself, but you also want to be a support. And so instead of being able to rescue him or instead of just totally leaving him alone, I often encourage people in like your situation to become more like uh, taking on the role of like a coach, a really good coach. So what does a coach do? He can't be on the field doing the work for his players, but he's also going to be there to provide perspective, insight, broader, broader views. And so when you get into those places, obviously there's going to be empathy, which allows you to have the space to communicate. And then in that communication, if you're in the right frame of mind and if your heart's taken care of, then it's going to be moving into a principle discussion about those core principles. And, you know, I, I, I think I could relate to your husband quite a bit. And I remember just tell a little story here to try to illustrate the point. When I was working for the drug courts in Southeastern Idaho, I kept going home to my wife and saying, Hey, I think I could go out on my own. I think I could do my own practice. I think I could help people that way. And she'd always say, yeah, 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 you can, you can, you can. And every time she, she believed in me, she supported me, but then I never did anything. And, and, uh, it's because I was operating from the fixed mindset. And I thought if I try and I fail in my mind, that meant I was going to be a failure in my wife and kids eyes, and they weren't going to love me anymore. and want to be with me. I was going to probably make us end up living under an overpass somewhere because we <laughs> didn't have money and we'd be right. I mean, I was just going to be the ultimate failure. And I remember one day tell doing the same discussion with her. And she said, Tyler, you've said this thing like 20 times. Why don't you do something? And I told her I'm afraid to fail. And she looked at me straight in the face and she said, Tyler, I would much rather be married to a man who tries and fails than a man who doesn't do anything at all. And the very next day I was getting my LLC set up and, and moving and just having that like, having that little push of belief from my wife that, that was like, Oh, that's the principle. Like that's what I teach my kids all the time is get up and try, get up and do your best. It's just your best. Do your best, do your best. I don't even care about the outcome, do your best. And, and helping to reinforce that I think is something that you do have some control over that could be very helpful. So. I guess the, the other piece of it is like the, the, the depression makes me fear that, you know, like, like the pushing too much to where it will cause more depression rather than, you know, the get up and go. Right. So I guess that piece of it makes it harder for me to, it makes me want to, you know, like you said, there's either leave it alone or. I don't know what the other end of the spectrum is, but, you know, somewhere in the middle, finding that sweet spot, right. To where yes. you're not causing more depression. Um, 
So I guess that's the fear for me is that if I, uh, obviously I'm going to make mistakes too. Yeah. And, sure. and, um, but I just don't want to push him to where he feels like I don't want to live. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah. So what you're seeing is, is think of it like a two ended funnel and at both ends, we've got depression getting worse. And on one end it's no structure, do whatever you want, continue to do, to be motionless and, and you'll, you'll stay completely depressed or press, 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 get better, get better, get better, but do it with a fixed mindset. You're going to be depressed. depressed. And right. somewhere, somewhere in the middle is we know this process is really, really difficult we also know that um, it's okay to fail, to learn, to grow, but it's also not okay not to try. So we have to have the balance between both, which is depression hates, depression hates structure. It hates effort. It hates movement. It hates connection. And so I need to be committed to structure and movement and connection and those kinds of things. But I need to be trying to work on doing those things with wiggle room to not be perfect. And if I'm able to do that, that's where depression doesn't have a very good chance to flourish. So right, right now, your husband's bounced from one extreme to the other. Go, 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 go. Oh, I'm still failing. I suck to, well, if I don't believe anything, then I don't have to feel so bad. Exactly. And, so but, but, but that's, that's going to fuel depression too. And somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle is going to be the right thing. And that might take a while to, to find, and then it's going to take even more work to continue to come back to it because it won't stay. That's going to be the process. So, um, I would just say that it sounds like you're married to a man who really actually has some real goodness in him that he doesn't see yet. He and, definitely does. Yeah. And and if he would allow himself to start moving his own judgments and just let the truth be the truth, which is that he's a good man who happens to have a problem. And it wouldn't matter if he had this problem the rest of his life, as long as he worked on it, he'd be coming, becoming a better person, a better husband, a better father. Um, yes. then you guys could have a really beautiful life together. So, And I feel like we have great things. We have a good life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd remind him of that. Yeah. So, well, Jane, thank you so much for coming on. I hope this was beneficial for you. Um, I know that your question and your struggles, you're, you're definitely not alone with this stuff. And I, I appreciate your willingness to come on and share it so that other people could, could hear and probably relate to you as well. I, I so appreciate being able to come on and I hope that maybe we can, come on as a couple sometime in the future, hopefully. I'd love to. I would love that. I'd love to meet your husband. Um, one last question. If my husband, do you think if I just start working on the fixed mindset thing, then maybe he'll come around to being willing to do some sort of therapy? I mean, he, right now he's not even in a place where he thinks yeah. that will work, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the fix, I think fixed to growth mindset stuff is a good way to go. And then I also think principally, you know, talking about depression, we, we need some kind of movement. We need some kind of structure and we need a lot of practice of self-compassion. And so that's where I would go to. And if you can get some movement there, then yeah, I do think some, I do think some actual real targeted treatment in addition to the 12 step stuff you guys have done would actually be really helpful for you. Okay. So 
but take it a step at a time. Right. Right. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for your help. Jane. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, For those of you guys listening, if you relate to this, or if you know somebody who's in a similar situation, please reach out, share this. This is the reason we do this is to try to help with these kinds of things. So you guys have a great week.